So last week we started a, a study on experiencing God, which, you know, a, as you know, over the few years we've been going through books of the Bible to study. This is really the first time where we've kind of launched a series based off of a book that somebody has written that is based, obviously, in Scripture. And what's interesting is that, you know, we had spent a number of uh, weeks in the Gospel of John through the I Am series. We are still in John's writings throughout this Experience in God series. And after this series, we're going to be in John's writings again as we go into his letters. But it's, a, it, it's based on a book by Henry Blockaby. I'm excited that a number of you have told me that you have ordered this book. You've even found this book at Goodwill and that you've, been, you've, you've started to go through it maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. Just kind of grappling with these seven realities of experiencing God. And just taking you back to last week and kind of connecting it to this week is that God is always at work. You know, one of the big things that I got out of this when, when Roger, my father-in-law, was leading our church back in California through this, the biggest thing that I got out of this was doing what God is blessing instead of asking God to bless what we're doing. Because that can happen as an individual, that can happen, you know, in ministry, it can happen with churches, that we can launch into something that we want to do. It could be a good thing, but it could be something that, you know, we've just not really spent the time in prayer to see where God is at work around us and to join him in that work. But to connect last week with this week, God is always working, pursuing a loving, real, and personal relationship with us. He is always at work around us pursuing people. I mean, he, he, he's pursuing us, right? Uh, God, is, God is always at work pursuing people. He's pursuing people who don't know him. He's pursuing people who don't want to know him. He's pursuing people who have known him for years and are enjoying a, a wonderful relationship with him. He's also pursuing people for years who have maybe at one point, and maybe you've been at this point, where you had a really close relationship with the Lord, but you really want to go deeper because maybe you just kind of put it off to the side for a, a period of time. And I was just thinking about the fact that God pursues us. And we know what that's all about. I mean, how, how many of you pursued someone and you married her? Um, how many of you were pursued by someone, right? Um, but, you know, back at Back in the 90s, when I, when I saw Michelle walking around campus, I, I started to pursue her. And, and, and she, though she wanted a friendship, she didn't want it to go any deeper than that, but I continued to pursue her. And then when it came time for me to realize that, you know, I was living in Michigan, she was living in California, and I knew that if there was anybody that I wanted to see where it was going to go, it was my college best friend. And so I, I, I decided that I was going to move from Michigan and, and head and do my master's work in Mill Valley, California and, get, and do some ministry with, with Roger and Bonnie and their church there at Redwood. Um, but I, I pursued her then as well. And I pursued her so much that I, I, I left from my house in Detroit. I went to go visit friends in Wheaton, uh, spent the night there. We hung out there. I went to go visit my pastor in Iowa who had transferred there to be a, a college uh, a pastor there on, on the campus that he and Janine were at. And then I told John, I was like, well, I, I want to make it to uh, Wyoming. He was like, there's no way you're going to make Cheyenne, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Well, I got, I got so excited that next morning that I was up probably about 3, 30, 4 o'clock that morning. I quietly made my way out of their house, got into my pickup truck that was full of stuff, and made my way down Highway 80, and I got to Cheyenne, Wyoming that afternoon. And I'm thinking, 
I could go further. So I did go further. And it started to, the, the sun started to set, started to get to Salt Lake City. Maybe you remember the story. Since I'm from Detroit area, hotels are cheaper outside of a major city, right? When I got to Salt Lake City and was thinking that hotels are cheaper outside of the city, I got outside of Salt Lake City and realized there's nothing outside of Salt Lake City but desert. So I made it to Winnemucca, Nevada. That night, I drove 1,301 miles. I'm going to put that one in there because that's important. 1,301 miles in one setting because I wanted to pursue Michelle. Now, after we got married in August of 94, does the pursuit stop? Those of you who are married, you know that the pursuit doesn't stop. You continue to pursue each other. You continue to love each other. You continue to do things for each other. That's the way God is with us. He continues to pursue us. You're here this morning because God is pursuing you. You're watching online because God is pursuing you. There's a reason why you are connecting to God right now, right here, because God continues to pursue you. Henry Blackaby says in Experiencing God, he says, God created you for an intimate fellowship with him. A life spent walking closely with the Lord is both exciting and rewarding. God does not want you to miss out on what he has intended for you from eternity. Sin causes us to follow our own selfish desires, but in doing so, we reject God's best for our lives. So God takes the initiative to draw us closer to himself. This love relationship, however, is not one-sided. As you accept his love and forgiveness, he wants you to know and to worship him, and most of all, he wants you to love him. Then Blackaby quotes one of my favorite verses out of John 14, 21, where Jesus says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him, and this is what I love most about this passage. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. I will love her and I will reveal myself to her. It is Jesus' desire to reveal himself to us on an individual, personal, loving, caring, tender way. And I remember when this verse first struck me, I was kind of doing my own definitions and looking up different ways that this has been uh, transcribed. I want to reveal myself to you. I want to show myself to you. I want to make myself plain to you. I want to make myself real to you, which is why I suggested we sing, Lord, you're the real thing, and now I'm ready. And then another version, and, and I just want this to kind of put this in the back of your mind because we're going to get to it a little bit later, but I will disclose myself to them. And I don't think most people know this. In fact, Blackaby said this. He says, most people view God as someone who is distant and serenely unconcerned about their day-to-day living. But this is not the God presented in scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God relating to people in personal, intimate, and practical ways. And so one of my encouragements to you would be this, is that you would actually pick up your Bible and see it as not just a book, but a collection of letters, of love letters that God has written to people over the centuries. A love letter that helps us and reminds us of just how much God loves us and how much God is pursuing us. 
And, the, and as we continue to remind, as we pick up the Bible and as we continue to remind ourselves of those stories in those ways that God has interacted with people and pursued people in very intimate ways, that we could be reminded just how personal a relationship that God wants with each and every one of us and that it's a, it's a relationship that is extremely intimate and practical. God pursues us. The emphasis pursues. So when Jean read this, and this may be a familiar story to you where Jesus and his disciples were making his way through Samaria, there is a, a, a little word in here that kind of popped out at me this week. And it's, and it's this, now he had to go through Samaria. And a lot of times, maybe you've even heard this before, but a lot of times when I have expressed this story to other people, I've talked about the fact that Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. In fact, Jews usually went around Samaria because there was this animosity between Jews and Samaritans. So I you know, kind of leaned into the fact that, that what God was doing was breaking down barriers between Jews and Samaritans through Jesus, you know, that Jesus wanted to go through it. But it, what was interesting to me is that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? Now, I, I don't know about you. Do, have you ever had a had to that you also wanted to do, right? There's just something that you have to do. I, I, this just came to me, but you know, when, um, I don't know, there are some people who really like board games and, and when those conventions come to town, they have to be there, right? They have to go or, or, you know, there's a game on TV and I just have to watch that. It's a have to, I, I had to, but I also want to, right? Uh, there's a, there's a little race coming up, uh, at the end of this month, Right. And, and there, there are, what, 350,000? Is that the latest number that I've heard about how many people feel like they have to go to this little road race here in Indianapolis, right? But there are have-tos that we have to do, but have-tos that we want to do. I believe that this was a had-to-do, but a, a also a want-to-do that Jesus had, but I also believe that it was a had-to-do for him, Tying us back into last week, Jesus himself, as the Son of God, did not do anything. He did not take initiative for anything that he was doing until he saw the Father doing something, and then he would go join God in his work. I think Jesus had to go because he saw the Father and the Father's desire. His had to go. That this was a love relationship and, and a, a people group that he was pursuing. He was, it was not just going to be him pursuing the Jews. It was going to be him pursuing all cultures, all nationalities, all languages. He's, he's blowing things up. He is, he's he's uh, building bridges and, and going through barriers, but Jesus had to go there. And he pursued a relationship with the one Remember, we're a church that's all about the numbers. Not the thousands, but who's your one? Jesus and his disciples, they go into Samaria. Jesus sits down at the well. His disciples go into town and go get something to eat. The Samaritan woman comes out during the heat of the day. Usually they would come 
out to draw water during the cool of the day. How many of you felt like you needed to mow the lawn at about 8 o'clock in the morning this week and not at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, right? There is a big difference in terms of the heat that you experience between a 9 a.m. going outside and working and a 1 p.m. going outside and working. But this is what she did. But So it's not just... So she's, she's going to this well because she wants to avoid people. She's broken. She's been in and out of relationships. And not just dating relationships. She's actually been married and divorced multiple times. And through this conversation, Jesus is going to point that out, that what she's actually looking for, that there is something deeper that she's actually looking for that she's not going to find in any other man. And that he himself is the Messiah that she and that her people are looking for and longing for. And Jesus is pursuing a relationship with her. And it is so fulfilling to Jesus that when his disciples come back with food, he's like, you know what? I'm full. Wait a minute. Um, we just went into town to go grab a Big Mac. And um, you're, you're saying you're hungry. You know, you were hungry before. You're tired before. Now, no, I'm, I'm full and I'm fulfilled because I'm fulfilling the work that my father set out for me to do. Jesus had to go. And I believe that this is still a desire of our Heavenly Father, that he has to pursue you and you and you and you. He pursues each and every one of us. God wants a relationship with us that is loving, real, and personal. One of my favorite stories about this, and maybe you'll remember this, that God will often tell prophets to do some pretty odd, different things in order to communicate his love for his people or what he wants to do in his people. And so somehow, some way, Hosea has this sense from God that he is to marry a woman who has actually um, lived her life in the sex trade. And he marries her, but and, and he brings her into his home, and he's faithful to her, and he's loving with her, and he's tender to her. But then at one point, she, she leaves him, and he's not quite sure as to where she went. She knows the area that she used to be involved in. And so could you imagine this, this man who's known to be a, a man of God, a prophet of God, going into this kind of seedy area of town and asking the man who was probably controlling everything that happened in that place, especially related to the sex trade. And he goes to, her, he goes to him and says, listen, um, have you seen Gomer? Yeah, I've seen her. Um, why don't you go to this uh, other end of town? And so Hosea goes and he knocks on the door and he finds her and he is to bring her back into his home and to be faithful to her and to love her and to be tender with her all over again. And through this whole story kind of a difficult love story, not one that you'd probably go, ah, you'd find that on Hallmark, right? But this challenging love story, but it's, it's a story about how God pursues us and even pursues those of us who often turn our backs on God. Blackaby tells this story. He says that while registering at a national conference in a large city, I gave um, the woman working at the registration table, my name, and she screamed, it's you, you saved my life. 
needless to say, I was intrigued. She told me that when she had been a, a university student, she faced a series of devastating events and had descended into a, a place of darkness, finally resolving to end the pain. And as she was walking across campus where she intended to take her life, she heard her name. And she was trying to ignore the person who was calling out her name, so she began to jog, to run. She was trying to run away from this person who was pursuing her, but this friend caught up to her and grabbed her, literally grabbed her by the arm and dragged her to a room where a Bible study was being held. She said she was on her way to this new Bible study. I, I want you to come and, and, and be with me. And, and so the group was studying, experiencing God. The group was studying the chapter about how God pursues us. And it was within that Bible study that night that as they were examining how God pursues each and every one of us in order to have a love relationship with us, this woman for the first time felt that her heart was flooded with this loving presence of God. And it dawned on her that God had been relentlessly pursuing her even as her world was crumbling around her. Isn't that awesome? She gave her life to Christ and God transformed her and her situation. God pursues us. You could also put that emphasis on God pursues us because it could be that maybe the very first time where you sense that God was pursuing you, you may be thinking, not me. He's, he's not pursuing me. I, you know, I've just done too much. I've, I've made too much of a mess of my life. But God pursues us. Paul talked about this when he wrote in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were, what's that next word? Still sinners, Christ died for us. I think too many times, and, and I've actually been in conversation with people where um, whether they are trying to decide on whether they're going to give their lives to Christ or maybe um, enter into that next commitment of baptism, that they feel like they've got to get their act together or clean their lives up before they come to God. And God's like, no, 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 no. Just come to me. You let me take care of the cleansing because I already have. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God pursues people who don't deserve to be Pursued. In fact, God chases after people who have been running from him all their lives. And maybe you know someone that God is pursuing, where they've been actually running away from God all their lives, but something is happening. They're showing up in your small group. They're showing up at church. Maybe they're tuning in online. Whatever it might be, something is happening where you know God is pursuing them, and they're beginning to sense that themselves. But he also pursues people who know God's love in their minds, but don't re yet realize it in their hearts. The tradition that I grew up in back in Michigan, I, we started going to First United Methodist Church when I was in fifth grade. 
very dynamic, growing, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Uh, Just so much fun to be a part of what God was doing in that church over the years. Um, But that Methodist movement traces its roots back to a revival movement that spread throughout England in the 1700s as a result of God pursuing an Episcopal priest who knew God loved him he knew it up here. He knew it. It was theological, you know, he was theologically correct. And I think a lot of us, that can be the case with us. It's like, we're, you know, we're theologically correct. We know that God loves us, right? You know, we can say that, we can believe it, but do we really believe it? Is it, is it heartfelt? And so this, this movement, something happened because, uh, so at this period in, in John's life, and, and this movement started as a result of God really get, getting in touch with John and, and helping him to realize how much God loved him deep down inside, in his heart. And so when that movement began to just uh, catch on fire, John was preaching, his brother Charles was writing songs, and it was just beginning to take off and just exploded there in England. But his own conversion story is what I remembered this week because there was a little phrase in John's conversion story that made me think back to that Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you've ever done any church history, you might hear about John Wesley's experience on Aldersgate Street. It's his Aldersgate experience. And it represents this moment in his spiritual journey and it really represents a journey for all of us that where we know God loves us in our minds, but we don't feel it in our hearts. And so John Wesley wrote in his journal, he said, I felt I did trust in Christ, for, in Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that, had ta- that God had taken away my sin, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And it was the sense that God loved him, even him, that was life-changing. See, in early 1738, John Wesley was at a low point, and he reluctantly attended a group of Moravians who were meeting together at this place on Aldersgate Street. And what's mind-blowing to me, because I don't know, you know, some of us, we've studied communication. We've studied communicators. Most of us know what we like in communicators and preachers and teachers, right? You know, you th- oh, don't, don't read your manuscript. You know, don't, don't read out of a book, whatever it might be. John is there in this meeting, and someone is reading the preface to Martin Luther's notes on Romans. He's just reading what Martin Luther was going to be getting into as he's giving this commentary on Romans. And John's heart, he said, felt strangely warmed. And he writes in his journal, I felt that God loved me. I experienced that God loved me. It was no longer something that was in my head but it's something that I felt in my heart. And maybe that's where you're at today. You've heard God loves you. Maybe you know it in your head, but you need a reminder of it in your heart. A way to do that is to do something that God did. Remember, God has been pursuing people ever since the beginning of time. And one of my favorite pictures of God pursuing people is actually Adam and Eve where Genesis records that God would walk with Adam and Eve, walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day as they were in the garden. 
Henry Blackaby says, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And he encouraged through experiencing God, take some time to walk with God and cultivate a more intimate relationship with him this week. If possible, find a place outside to walk. Use this time to get out of your routine. You may even want to plan a special outing for part of a day just to be alone with God. You know, last week, your homework assignment was to watch for God. This week, it's to walk with God. Whether it's in your neighborhood, whether you go to a local park, take some time and actually take a literal walk with God. There's some questions that came out of Blackaby's book. After spending time alone with God, reflect on your feelings. How did you feel as you walked and talked with God? What aspects of your love relationship with God became clear to you? What happened that was especially meaningful or joyful? But take some time. Find some time. Make some time. You're like, oh, Johnny, I don't have time. Make time to take a walk with God. I'm going to leave you with a song that I grew up with. And I mean, you know me. I, I'm a metalhead, but I'm not going to take you to Ozzy Osbourne or anything like that. I'm going to take you to a song that was written by a pharmacist in 1912. It's amazing to me that we'll, we, we, we sing these songs and sometimes we think, ah, oh, it must have been a theologian, a pastor who, you know, wrote these songs. But, you know, when we, a few weeks ago, talked about the fact that, you know, Horatio Spafford wrote a song and, and he was in real estate and but here is this pharmacist that in 1912 wrote these words. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the son of God discloses. There's that word again. God wants to reveal himself to you in a very intimate and personal way. Maybe you know the tune. See, when I'm alone with him, when I walk with him and spend time with him, he makes himself known to me. He, he, he reveals himself to me. He discloses himself to me. Maybe you know the rest of the song. And he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Father, I pray that this could be true of our lives, that we can carve some time out just to simply go on a walk with you. Because it is your desire to be in a relationship with us, which is sometimes mind-boggling, because we think maybe like Wesley, even me? Yeah, even you. Father, we may know this in our heads, but I pray that you would help us to experience it in our hearts because it is your desire for us to experience you on a very deep level. Help us to be reminded of your love, to experience your love, not just today, but throughout this week as we maybe not just take one walk with you, but maybe we start each day this next week walking with you. So as we begin the day walking with you, maybe we can be more sensitive to watching for you. In Jesus' name.